Ladies and gentlemen, class is in session. Welcome to Warp World Historians, the video game history podcast where myself, your host X Water, gives the complete history and lore rundowns of your favorite video games with the insight of special guests. Joining me this week is Moni. Moni, what's going on? Hello, welcome to the Warp World Historians. Hello. Hi, Mickey. How are you doing? Whew, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> Moni and I were supposed to record this podcast about three and a half, four hours, five hours earlier than we're recording it right now. And your boy didn't necessarily wake up what we would uh, in the business refer to as on time. <laughs> but thank, thankfully enough, Moni, you've been able to work around my abrasive schedule. So I appreciate that. Yeah, you know that I've been wanting to do this episode for a while now. Because oh yeah, you you pitched <laughs> this idea to me back at like back when we were like at episode like ten. You're like, yeah. hey, uh, Undertale, Undertale, huh? huh? It, it huh? was like actually, I think one of the first weeks when I joined the Warp World team, and I remember like one of the first things I ever said on the Historians channel was, "Whenever you do Undertale, you gotta hit me up, hit your girl." <laughs> up. Yeah, yeah, no, and. It, it came more into my head recently because, as you know, I replayed it um, actually exactly a week ago to this recording, uh, which was such a great time to revisit the game. So I'm really excited to cover it. Now, before we do get any further, uh, for any of our audience members who don't know, Moni is one of the members of the Warp World team. She does pretty much all of the community management and social media relation and event planning. And you wear like 40,000 hats, Moni. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> I basically do everything that's related to marketing and PR. Um, so event planning, influencer management, social media management, community management, public relations, everything. that That's me. Basically, I, yes. I work on how the company looks to other people. Yeah, you basically put the makeup on the company. Exactly. <laughs> and Moni has been a huge fan of Undertale ever since it pretty much came out. And the passion you have for this game made you the easiest choice for someone to include in an episode about it. So here we are. I actually thought you were going to say that I was a big fan of you. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not that full of myself. <laughs> so yeah, uh, actually... I had heard uh, from Undertale when it actually came out, but never like played it. And I didn't play it until 2017, actually, which was oh, wow. like, yeah, consider considerable time after it came out. Um, but I did went 100% blind when I played it. And I think that had to do a lot of, of like the uh, with the impact that it had on my life because I went completely blind. I haven't I hadn't like heard anything about it um, besides that it was a good game. Um, and thankfully, my chat, I did stream it, which is something that. Right now, I wouldn't recommend, like, in general, but my chat was really nice to me. I didn't get any trolls or spoilers, so it was a completely blind playthrough, and I absolutely fell in, fell in love with the game. And it actually changed so much of what I look for in games nowadays. Um, I grew up playing Mario. I grew up playing Red, Retro Mario. You know me. I play Super Mario World every day of my life. But... After Undertale, I am now interested mostly in in story games because I I feel like Undertale like 
it was just so different to everything that was in the market at the time it came out um, and so different in the RPG world. Um, so it just changed my perspective on gaming 100%. And I've played it a trillion times. And when you played it last week, I watched the entire 10 hours of your playthrough. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, that was a long stream. That one, that one fucked up my voice for a good couple of days. I mean, your voice acting was on point. But thank you. Uh, thank you. It was great. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really, really passionate about everything about this game, the development. Uh, Toby, we're going to get into that later. But, yeah, it's just uh, for me, it's a masterpiece of a game. And I feel like everyone should play it. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that you went in like blind, not knowing anything. And that's impressive playing it in 2017, because yep. like not only was it a really popular game, but it was like like tons of YouTubers have played it. There was there's like billions of memes about it. You know, like yep. you go on any meme compilation for any month of the last couple of years, you're gonna see some point where Megalovania and Sans show up, or the you're gonna have a bad time. Blah 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 blah. Um, there's just yeah no. I I was in the same boat. I was 2015 when I played it around the, the same year it came out, and like everyone was talking about this game. Everyone was like, Undertale's so good. Undertale's so good. And sometimes I just do that with some games where I I, I see someone I respect say they like a game, and I'm like, well, if this guy liked it, I'm gonna like it. Yeah. And I don't look it up before playing it. I just I just get it and play it. I did the same thing with Celeste, and I was not let down. So I am. In, yeah, it's 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 amazing. So let's talk a little bit about playing the game blind, because we we both I think are on the same page here. Where this is a game where you want no information going in the first time. Yeah. So we we me and Mickey agreed that we wanted to give a disclaimer. Um, Undertale is a game that can be played in very different ways. Um, it's a very like heavy story game. Um, and it's really like emotional and, it, and it's really funny and it has a lot of uh, really, really amazing things. And the most amazing thing, like it has music, it has amazing gameplay, but the story is just really, really good. And um, I wanted to give a disclaimer that this is a game meant to be played blind. Um, so if you haven't played Undertale, but you've been curious about it in the past and you want to hear about it, I would recommend. Don't listen to this episode because we are going to be spoiling the shit out of it. Yep. Go play exactly. the game if you're into it. Or if you don't care about it and you still want to listen to our beautiful voices, just know that by listening to this, you are sollying a beautiful blind play experience. Exactly. Because uh, playing it uh, blind is just incredible and you're going to fall in love with the characters and the story. So please, please, if you haven't played Undertale and you want to play it in the future, don't listen to this episode. Go play it right now. It's actually a really short game. So you can go, uh, go and play it and then come back later. And here to our beautiful voices. Yeah, it, it is. A, it is a pretty short game. And that's so you brought up a couple of things that I thought that I that I saw a lot during the research that I thought were kind of funny. Undertale it was, is so different from everything else. And that's something that you said just now. And it's funny because that is exactly what Toby aimed to do with Undertale. 
You know, I got I to gotta take a step. I'm going to save that for the lesson. I know you had something prepared before we dive fully into the history that you wanted to go uh, go through over here. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited that I just want to talk about it already. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just like, oh, my God. OK, so before we we get into the lesson, I did want to ask X Water. Um, so from this point forward, if you haven't played the game. You know, this is your final warning. This is spoiler zone. We're in spoiler zone <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, this is your final warning. We're about to get into the nitty gritty. So um, because I know you've played Undertale a few times, uh, I did have some questions prepared for you. Um, and I wanted to know, what's your favorite Undertale character, X-Water? Ah, uh, man, I think I got to give it to Papyrus. Really? I think Papyrus is my favorite. Yeah, he is. So, like, it's either Sans or Papyrus. They're both so good. But, um... His he's so over the top and his puns are so stupid and his jokes are so dumb and he's such an idiot, but he's so lovable. I don't know, man. That he character is an idiot. He truly is an idiot. The whole like the spaghetti gags and everything <laughs> and the, the date where he wears a shirt that says cool dude. But the shirt like it, it's made out of a shirt that just says zero seven and he drew the cool dude around it. Like I couldn't, I can't get over <laughs> how lame he is, but how endearing his lameness is. Yeah. I love Papyrus too, but my favorite. Who's your favorite? Yeah. My favorite character. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I, <laughs> I cannot pick. Um, I think it would be between Asriel and Asgore. I feel like Asgore, he, he's just the nicest dude ever. Oh, he is, dude. He's <laughs> so wholesome. He just wanted to protect, <laughs> like, the monster and his kids and, and, and his wife. And he just wanted to do the right thing. And everything, like, his life goes into shambles and his wife leaves him. And I'm like, poor guy, dude. He was just trying to do the right thing. But I know, it right? Came, like, it, it was just... It was an unfortunate turn of events for Asgore, um, but yeah. he's so wholesome. And and you can see at the end when he literally doesn't want to fight you, but he's like, I guess this is what I have to do if I want to keep protecting the monsters. And it's like my heart. Yeah, dude. And when he when he takes the, the trident and gets rid of your spare button. Oh, man. Yeah, that was cool. OK, so my second question is, what's your favorite boss fight from the game? Favorite boss fight. I'm going to give that one to Metaton. Ooh. Yeah, I really like really the one. I really like the mechanics there. Um let alone okay, the music in that fight amazing. The evolution of that character amazing. <laughs> and the uh the mechanics in that fight where you know you're shooting in the fight, you're shooting back cuz all the major boss fights had like a slightly different kind of mechanic, you know, like you're fighting with like a blue heart or a red heart or a yellow heart or a purple heart, you know, like they were all, they all had, they all had some sort of fun, interesting twist. And I liked all of the twists a lot, but the thing I liked the most about Metaton's fight was he had that, um, what's it called? The ratings. You had to get the ratings up to a certain point to win that fight. If you were doing the, uh, the mercy strats. And I thought that was so cool. And you would get the ratings up by like, going into the act menu and saying like, all right, I'm going to boast. And then if you don't get hit after boasting, ratings go up. But if you get hit, ratings go super far down. So like based on the next attack he's going to do, you kind of got to like plan out what you're going to egg him on with. Yeah, it's incredible. Everything about this game is incredible. I, I don't know how we're picking things like uh, my favorite boss 
fight I think would be uh, Undyne in the genocide round. So Undyne, the true hero fight, which mm-hmm. is the one with the green heart and the shield. Hard fight. Yeah, that it gets like Omega hard in like five seconds. That would definitely yeah. be my favorite boss fight. It's really hard. I think it took me like four. Well, I'm really bad at video games, everyone. But I think the Undyne fight from the genocide route took me like four hours or something. Because Damn. I'm, yeah, I'm so bad. I'm sorry. They are. It's hard <laughs> fights. The genocide. The genocide route was designed, you know, to be harder. So. Okay, so another great thing about Undertale is the music, of course. And I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite song? Mm, it's between Hopes and Dreams and Megalovania. Predictable. It's got to be one of those. <laughs> They're both so perfect. Yeah, they are. But it's also like I love. I love the boss fight. For fighting Metaton, you know, uh, I love I love the ghosts music. I'm a big fan of the pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> That's so the hard. thing. The yeah. whole soundtrack is amazing, and the whole soundtrack is made by this one dude. Yeah, he basically did everything. Um, so yeah, we're we're gonna talk about that later. But yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> my favorite song I think would be his theme, which is. Um, it's the song that plays in the house when you're doing the true pacifist uh, route. Oh, I know which one. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a good one. Yeah, it's Asriel's song, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay, so I'm going to uh, ask you one last question. And that's bef- just before the lesson. I think it's fitting. So what's your favorite route of the game? So the game can be played in different ways. Um, but I wanted to ask you, which one is your favorite? I don't really feel so. So I don't really think that's that I have a favorite route because I don't really consider them to be different playthroughs, if that makes sense. When I first played Undertale, um, I went through obviously not knowing anything. And so the game starts off. The flower tells you, you know, don't trust anyone, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they're, they're trying to do bad shit to you. And then. Flower's gone. Mommy, mommy came to save you. All that shit, whatever. So we're going through, and you brought this up a good couple of times during the stream. But we're going through, and you go through this tutorial section, the ruins with Toriel, and and the whole time she's super mothering you. And everybody, everybody's like, "All right, Evil I gotta demon. not, I gotta not, <laughs> I gotta not kill her. She's a loving, caring mom." And in my head, I'm like, "Okay, the flower told me not to trust anyone, and this is really overprotective. I'm a random." child that she just found I am not her son like all this stuff so I'm like this is weird this is weird I'm going to kill her this is my first playthrough right and so I kill her and I find out that you know uh, I find out later that I sh- I could have not killed her because I did try to spare her at first but you got to do it like 80,000 times yeah. but going on from there you know I go through the rest of the playthrough killing some saving others uh it's it's my first go through and I've already killed one so there's no going back right um and I essentially I complete the neutral route to which point after that I immediately start up and do a pacifist run knowing you know that you can do different runs after that I did the genocide run just to you know like be able to see what happens and every single one of those is a very different experience and every single route has kind of like like they they complement each other if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't for think sure. they're so much different or so much separate endings as they are complementary pieces of the story. Well, yeah, I agree. And I feel like it's super cool to like that Toby lets you see 
how much your decisions can influence uh, a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that my favorite ending is for sure True Pacifist, just because you get to meet Asriel and you get the full story, like the intended story. Like for me, that no doubt, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, the whole the whole point of the game, like even from when it was Kickstarter, was this is a game where you don't have to fight anything. So by doing the true pacifist run, by not ever fighting anything, you unlock what is essentially like the most awesome ending. Yeah, and it's incredible. Yeah. But yeah. I got to say, though, like some of the moments in the genocide run were like we're staggeringly powerful compared yeah, to same. compared to everything else cuz cuz that's the thing in the genocide run like your character becomes just a cold-hearted killer where you don't go through like the di- the friendly dialogue with these monsters and then kill them like by the time you're at like the third or fourth monster and you're going through and you're killing everything it gets to the point where like you just get into battles you just you just kill them where they're standing. You don't give a shit about them. And like that silence and lack of dialogue in a game that's up to that point had been so full of it is so like scary and powerful. Yeah, it's actually. And I remember like, so do you remember um, at the end of the ruins, there's like the house where you meet Toriel. If yeah. you explain. If you're in the genocide route and you explore a little bit the house, if you go to the kitchen and you try to open a cabinet, the text box says, where are the knives? Yeah, yeah. Like, Stuff like that, that changes. <laughs> Dude, there's crazy how much detail is put into that game based on your actions and stuff. That's, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of nitty gritty details like that in the game that uh, we'll be going into because now that we've gone through our little... Uh, our little game discussion. I think this is a good chance, Moni, for us to go ahead and dive into, you guessed it, the lesson. Ooh. Classes in session. I love that bell. I love that bell, dude. (laughs) (laughs) So I would intro the game, but we've already done that. This is Undertale. The person of focus is going to be Toby Fox, the creator of the game. This pretty much did every aspect of work on the game, save for a little bit of the artwork, which he had assistance on. So to understand where Undertale comes from, we're going to go back and talk about Toby Fox before Undertale and where he comes from. So all the way back to the early 90s, October 11th, 1991, this little bundle of joy is born named Toby Fox. He's super young. Like he's yeah, he's only (laughs) a year older than me. Yeah, and you're pretty and he, young. And he is rich, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also a genius. Like, let's not forget that. Yeah. So he he grew up in he grew up in America, and he grew up around the same you know the same youth kind of media that I did. And I was a big fan of the Super Nintendo. He was a big fan of the Super Nintendo. He was particularly a big fan of the game Earthbound, which. Pretty much is no surprise if you've heard anything about Undertale. <laughs> yep. Sans um, his confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. He uh <laughs> he talks so much about like every interview, every interview. Before the game came out, it was like pitched as like an earthbound style game. Every you know, so much of the like dialogue and humor and like style of the game is from Earthbound. It just shares so much in common with 
how how much how, the personality that the games have. It's very absurdist, if that makes sense. Um, so in, he, in his younger years, he would play games. And then when he's around nine years old, he would open up this little program. I don't know if you've ever played with it, Moni. RPG Maker. I have never. Heard of it? I have never, but I've been really curious about it. I've been wanting to do a game for a while. And I have, I've always had like this solid idea of what I want to do. I'm not going to say it because then it's going to get stolen by one get of our stolen. billions of listeners. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. I've like yesterday I was doing some research on my own um, a little bit about like Toby and I read about RPG Maker and actually uh, Tammy, which we're going to be talking about her a little bit later. But Tammy also just released a a game recently. I saw that, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Toby actually made the music. um, And I was like, damn, maybe I should make my game in RPG Maker. So maybe I'm going to be playing with that later, but not right now. Yeah, RPG Maker is pretty cool. I've used it a little bit when I was younger. I had a couple of friends who made some really stupid (laughs) short RPGs in RPG Maker and had me play them. It's it's a it's like a. It's the Mario Maker of RPGs, you know. You I mean, you get it's these tools. RPG Maker. Exactly. You got these <laughs> cool tools to create a small little world, actually as big as you want, really. Um, but it's definitely going to be lacking in some aspects. You know, it's like when you jump from creating a ROM hack to creating your own game, the possibilities open up a lot more. It's kind of like the same idea. You're stuck with the tools RPG Maker gives you. That being said, it does give you a lot of tools. And as a, as a first project, like it's a great place to just go and dabble, right? Yep. So with RPG Maker and Earthbound, that gives that's that's two of the big parts that kind of like have at nine years old, Toby's already got, you know, kind of the foundation for what Undertale will be under his belt. Have you ever played Earthbound, Moni? I have never, ever, ever. I don't even know what it is about. So I could play it right now and be completely blind. You should you should give it a try sometime. The only thing that stinks is it's a little longer compared to Undertale. And isn't it like um isn't it like a like a party based like yeah. game. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. I don't even know what the story is about or anything. I actually TLDR for Earthbound, it's like a group of kids have to save the planet from from some real messed up shit. I didn't even know that it was part of a series, apparently. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in Japan. <laughs> it's called the Mother series. You got Mother One, Two, and Three. Um Ness and Lucas are Mother Two and Mother Three the main characters. So that's where, that's where they come from. And it's, I've only played earthbound. I, I'm planning on playing mother three at some point in the near future. Cause I'm, I gotta say researching for this episode made me really want to play it. But um, yeah, earthbound is a fantastic game. It shares a lot of the humor that undertale has. If you, if you liked undertale for its personality, you'll undertale. like earthbound <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I've I've never played it. And I know Saturn, a fellow Warp World member, he loves Earthbound yeah. with his yeah. life. I think he hasn't even played Undertale because he loves Earthbound. You should so do a much. trade with him. Make him play uh make him play Undertale and then you can play Earthbound. You know, that's actually a brilliant idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, with Toby, he, he it comes a time, he gets to high school and He's online and he finds this online forum community for fans of Earthbound. It's a, a website called starmen.net where Earthbound fans would on, like get together to talk about the game, to do stuff, to share ROM hacks about the game and all that. And 
that was like, Toby was so into that. So using the online name Radiation, he got involved in Earthbound ROM hacks. He was just talking about how he really liked this community and how he really wanted to impress them. So he worked on these ROM hacks to put them out to the community. Um, and 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 people uh, people seemed to really like them. They were pretty well received for the time. So there was two ROM hacks that I was able to find that he put out. And so I can tell you a little bit about them if you're interested. Yeah, of course. I know one of them, which is, I think, like the Halloween hack he made. I don't know about yeah. the other one. Yeah, so there was um, Arn's Winter Quest Gway Edition. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but anyway. <laughs> here's here's his, his description for this one. Uh, Winter Quest has been a labor of love for me for two months and rivals those hacks such as Hat Quest and... Earthbound 2.5 Electric Boogaloo Joint Jive. It has a lot of fun inside jokes, an incoherent story, all new battle graphics. This hack is basically linear Dragon Warrior with a bunch of humor thrown in. So if you like fighting and you like funny and you like very hard, beautiful, fun time hacks, then don't play this hack because it'll satisfy your craving and your head will probably explode. <laughs> I think that that summary... Um basically summarizes who Toby is. If you've yeah. ever seen an interview of him or how he talks or he's just so weird, but hilarious. That interview that I, sh so the one that I sent, sent you before this, I watched all three parts of it, Me like too. all 30 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. He's what I loved so about weird. him was he was so unapologetically himself. Yeah. 100%. Definitely. It was definitely like, you know, he had a very, very powerful personality and sense of humor, and he was not ashamed for a fucking second. It was so cool. Like, he did this bit where, they, you know, it was before Undertale came out. He's on this couch, and they're interviewing him, and he goes, like, they, they start asking him questions about Undertale. He goes behind the couch and instead pulls up little puppets of of his of his dog character from Undertale and he does the interview about the game as this dog with the puppet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so funny and so dumb but like in a heartwarming way. Yeah, because just after he stops like responding to the questions, then he randomly drops the puppet and walks around and sits again on the couch. And yeah. just acts like nothing happened. And I'm like, Toby, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, later on, they ask him to talk more about the game. He's like, I didn't talk about the game at all. That was someone <laughs> yeah. else. I was just like, oh, my God. Uh, he, he, is, he is an interesting individual, but he's... You can you can every bit like every bit of inspiration that Undertale has, you can see it in his personality and in the way he is. And you'll be able to see it with the rest of the uh with the rest of like the history that we go through here with with where he's you know he comes from so continuing with the rom hacks there's the one that you mentioned that you know of moni uh the halloween hack bad fur day edition so this hack was here i'll give you the description for this one too this is the most descriptive shocking and most psychologically warping game warping game you will ever play you're a bounty hunter who is given the duty to track down a mysterious creature who mutilated and ate a little girl's parents and encounters various horrible things as the adventure goes on. This game isn't your average Halloween game. Its content is com comparable to games like Silent Hill and Yume Nikki. 
this game is also has the added effect of making you depressed as you play. <laughs> Counting real <laughs> games and fan games, this could be one of the most traumatic and horrifying games in the world, and we're not joking. This is easily one of the most disturbing hacks to come out, well, ever. So, yeah, he... <clears throat> He he was pretty proud of this one when it came out. He he definitely uh, he definitely thought he he talked it up pretty hard here. I was very interested in it honestly after reading this description. Like, <laughs> no, you gotta play it, X Water. Yeah, I, I looked at I watched a little bit of YouTube let's plays about it because I wanted to see I I wanted to see some of the things because this game actually has a couple of like shared elements with Undertale and one of those actually is there's a little bit of a resemblance between the final boss and sons of this game but there's also the music now Megalovania probably the most popular track from Undertale um was actually originally created and used in this Earthbound ROM hack the Halloween hack so I got a clip of the Super Nintendo version of Megalovania right here for you, Moni. I'm going to give it a quick play. Ooh. Go All ahead. right, here we go. Pretty wild, right? Yeah, and actually, now that you bring this up, this is why I actually knew of Radiation's uh, Halloween hack. It's because uh, when I was researching for Undertale music, like way back in the day, like not for the episode, but before, um, because I started learning a lot of the Undertale music in the piano, um, and I was looking for uh, Megalovania references on YouTube, and one of the videos that I encountered was like all of the different versions of Megalovania, and the first version was uh, this version, which was which was made like in the SNES engine and and I feel like it's incredible because it it sounds a lot like the the final Megalovania I feel like it didn't have m many changes yeah yeah I feel like the the biggest difference between the like the finished Undertale version that is used there and the finished Halloween hack version is simply just the sound fonts that he had to use on the Super Nintendo versus what he could use in his own you know his own game Yeah, for sure. It was yeah, because I think he I think he mentioned I I don't know if I have this info exactly right, but I think he composed a lot of the music in Fruity Loops, which is now FL Studio, I believe. Um, but yeah, there was uh, it was what's it called? It was a good song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and I mean the music in Undertale in general. I mean we're gonna be talking about this in a bit, but it's just like. It's so good. The music is so good. The music was really good. And so at this at the time, you know, he's in high school, all this stuff. He He's working on game design. But as you can clearly tell with the quality of Megalovania, game design wasn't his only hobby. Toby uh, was a budding musician. And as a student, he actually managed to find part-time work as a musician. So that brings us to a key player in the Undertale story, a man named Andrew Hussey, creator of the webcomic Homestruck, a comic that shares a lot of the same quirky humor as Undertale. So uh, have you ever heard of this comic, Moni? Um, 
Actually, not until I actually was researching for today, but I learned that Toby made the music for the comic. That's basically all I know. But no, I didn't yeah. know of it before. It's it is right in line with with everything that you expect from. I don't. I feel like we need a genre for this sense of humor because it is this. It's the same thing. The game, like the the comic, is really interesting. Where it's it's a comic, and you go page to page to page. But it masks itself as a choose-your-own-adventure. And, like, the comic is also a Flash animation. And the comic is also a game that you're watching being played. It's it, There's so many levels of abstraction in it. And <laughs> I, so I got, like, ten pages in just because I wanted an idea of what the comic was about. And the the main character, you start off in your bedroom, you name the character... And then you go, you're sitting there. The character's drawn with no arms. So you're like, all right, well, first thing we're going to do is retrieve our arms from the chest. And so <laughs> your character walks over to the chest after you click the next page and pulls a pair of arms out of the chest with two arms that have suddenly appeared on your character. And it's like, you got the toy arms. And it was so dumb, but so <laughs> funny at the same time. Yeah. I can see Toby being involved in something like that. Yeah, it's there was a big there was a big like the people who were in the earthbound space uh, generally like shared this kind of same sense of humor, same personality, same feel, same love. And so these people all kind of congregated together a lot. And that's how he met Andrew Hussey. He ended up working with Andrew Hussey on the the background music for a lot of the flash animations that would play in the future. He ended up coordinating part of Andrew Hussey's music label where he would release, you know, uh, fan music and all that stuff. I know Toby did that for a while. And at some point during Toby's time in college, I don't know when exactly this started. He began living with Andrew Hussey in his basement. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Basement dwelling Toby living, moving on to college, living with. I'm pretty sure Andrew Hussey was born 1979, which makes him way uh, older than Toby. 12 years than yeah. Toby. So that was that was a little weird to read, but you know what? <laughs> seems like seems like it worked out. If, I don't know if it was like they lived together or if like Andrew was like his landlord. I don't, there wasn't a lot of information. I tried really hard to find more about this relationship because I was really curious as how it worked. But the two of them, I know for a fact are good friends. They, they talk with each other all the time, whether it be on social media or personally, you know, they've worked together on tons of different projects and they're, they're big, they're, they're big fans of each other essentially. Yeah, and I think it's crazy to think that this was only like, Around 10 years ago. It wasn't that long ago, like at all. Yeah, this was, yeah, he was, <laughs> he was a junior in college when, when this was all going on. And I think that was probably around 2012, 2013, yep. maybe not probably like around 20, 2011, 2012. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So <clears throat> it was during this time in school, uh, living and working with Andrew that Toby then gained a surge, a new surge of ambition and decided to begin working on an idea for a completely original RPG. And so the what he cites as the kickoff for this is so funny to me. In, in an interview, Toby, Toby says, it all started while he was putzing through Wikipedia in college and found an entry on arrays, like, like data arrays. Mm -hmm. And so after reading the Wikipedia page, his first thought was just, oh, 
I could use this to make some sort of game. So like, <laughs> he reads about this hella generic data structure and he's like, oh, this, this, if I got, if I can make an array of four, I can make each one of those spots an action for the combat, you know, st- something like that. I don't know exactly how he was thinking about it, but um, it, ga- it inspired him. And so he started off programming a system to display text and he built up a rudimentary combat system. And so while he was working about it, ideas started to come to his mind about gameplay and narrative and, and all that stuff. And so uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about the gameplay mechanics of the game now and go into like kind of where the design comes from. And before we do that, I feel like it's important to talk about what the final product of Undertale was a little bit. So you're familiar enough with it, Moni, the whole level experience system in Undertale it's a very interesting system. Why don't you go ahead and explain kind of how it works, if you don't mind? Um, so are you talking about, like, killing and not killing and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, killing and not killing, okay. leveling up, uh, how you get experience and what that means for you. Yes. So um, basically the game, like, literally the first few moments of the game, um, you meet this character, which is Flowey, and he basically tells you that, um, that love is shared in in friendliness, white pellets. Um, <laughs> he says, like, yeah, like, go and catch these pellets of love. And then he's like, you idiot. In this world, it's killed or be ca- killed. There's no love here. Die. <laughs> um, so basically, um, for the game, you literally like we said before, you don't need to kill anything. Um, but all of these things like love and EXP that for someone that play plays games, EXP would be something good, right? You get experience on your character. But actually on Undertale, EXP means execution points. And um, as the more you kill, the more EXP you get. And that's what happens in a normal game, right? Like you kill combat and you get more experience but at the end of the game basically they tell you oh my god you've killed so many things that you have so much so many execution points and mm-hmm. love actually stands for level of violence <laughs> um, bom, bom, bom. yeah sorry no, no love in this world <laughs> um but but yeah so basically the game since the beginning t- like it tells you that you don't need to kill anything which is why it's so funny that all of these uh, mechanics and all of these like like um, little words that we use, like we see in games actually stand for completely different things. And I think it's really awesome um, because it doesn't tell you towards the end what it actually means. Yeah, it was a really clever way to hide it in, in plain sight. Yeah, exactly. Because it's right there. Yeah. Um, but You see the abbreviation. You, you've played an RPG. You know what EXP means. You know what LV stands for. But then it turns out you don't. Turns out it's completely different. And that was that was really cool. And one thing that I really liked about that, like that entire system is that the game was harder if you decided not to kill anything because you don't get EXP, you don't gain health. You know, you have to beat these bosses, essentially, you know, give like show them mercy while not continuing not to take damage. And you haven't gained any hit points throughout your playthrough. So like. Yeah, and if actually, you want to do this this run this way that you have where you want to save everyone, you legitimately have to like be better at the like it's a, it's a harder challenge to do it, and that you know makes sense because the better decision 
the 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 right move in in a lot of situations in real life is often the harder the harder thing to do. Yeah, and actually, like we said before, um, the game has three like major endings or way to play it, and it depends on your ex like your HP and your experience which ending you're gonna get. So the neutral, um, the neutral ending, which is like the most common one, goes from like over one eight uh one exp all the way to 50 exp so if you kill one monster but then you save everything else you are above like you gain a little bit of of execution points so basically you you can't get the the pacifist ending if you kill a single thing you can't do pacifist ending exactly um and of course if you get one one exp which is like the base which we'll consider zero um it basically means you didn't kill anything and the game automatically recognizes that you didn't kill anything so you're going to get the other ending. And then if you kill absolutely everything, you're going to get 51 EXP, which is like the most you can get. And of course, it's going to trigger the genocide ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this whole this whole system of, you know, killing, not killing, sparing stuff has been was around the game ever since the inception of the idea. It was like kind of one of the first things that Toby thought of. So I was, I was going around and I found uh, Toby posted a couple of tweets with his college notebook that had like early sketches of, uh, and, and design ideas for undertale. So I got a couple of those notes here and I'll be sharing them with you right now. So we had initially this, this level up slash experience system was called the karma system. And so his equations here were if you kill a monster, zero karma, nothing changes. If you kill a weak monster, you lose karma. If you kill a monster who is pleading, you lose karma. But if you spare a stronger monster or a pleading monster, you gain karma. And so in the game, higher karma benefits include easier sparring with enemies, extra rolls when running. You could buy items with your karma, unlock new dialogue options, get higher drop rates for items, and you could even donate money to charities in the game to gain karma. Now, on the opposite side of the spectrum, low karma make it makes it harder to run, easier to miss crits, and you would have stronger enemies more likely to come and seek you out. So, it's it, it's a very early version of the system, but generally the same thing where you're rewarded for sparing monsters and kind of punished for killing the ones that you you probably shouldn't be killing. And I feel like it's awesome. Like you said, uh, you could even donate money to charity in game to gain karma, which is like. Who thinks that? He's like, okay, if you're like, if you go the extra mile and be like Omega nice to one character, that's going to help you. And it's like the example of of sending Temi to college. It's like, who in the world, like in their first playthrough do that? But Toby thought exactly about that. It's like, you know what? What if the the player is Omega nice and they just want to send and they talk to Temi randomly because uh, Temi Town is like super. It's yeah, it's hidden. And OK, so what if the player gets there and they decide to talk to Temi and then Temi tells them that she wants to go to college and then the player is like, OK, I want to help her. Like he had to think so much of every single detail about this game, which it makes me really happy to see that. Um, that was one of like the things that he had considered, like in the since the inception of the game, um, 
And it's like, I, I feel like it's, it's incredible, incredibly detailed. And it, it makes me really happy that, that he, all of those tiny little details that he thought were going to be important, he actually implements them in the game at the end. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the notebook has tons of more stuff that ended up actually like being in the final version. Like right from this point, he already knew first boss is a tutorial person who can't stand to see you leave because you aren't strong enough. Word for word, what he wrote down. And so like, it's crazy how much like it echoes what like the finale of um, what Undertale ends up being. He wrote, had a, a page of mechanics too, where it showed all your battle options. It showed dialogue options, magic attacks. The menu looked very much like Earthbound at this point. Um, and this was just drawings on a piece of paper. This wasn't coded at all. But what I really loved about these notes was there was an explicit note on one of the pages that says you can date all the bosses except the last one and the robot. And then in brackets, it says the hot robot. So <laughs> the robot is is the, the robot boss is designed, he says, to be, uh, you know, futuristic, like super technologically advanced uh, robot. So he's waterproof. So the water bottle attack doesn't damage him, but it ruins his perfect hair and demoralizes him. <laughs> like that is if that's not Undertale, I don't know what it is. Like a yeah. robot that's waterproof, but you throw a water bottle at it and it ruins his hair. <laughs> Actually, um, did you know, like I wanted to throw this like fun fact. Did you know? Well, we talked about the first boss, but did you know that Toriel actually stands for tutorial? I never thought of that. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's good. Yeah. That's Wait, funny. you didn't know? I didn't know that. Really? I'm yeah. Sh I'm shook if. Yeah. It actually, <laughs> it, it actually stands for tutorial. That's really funny. That's why it's a tutorial boss. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's good. We're, we're, I have so much to talk about with, with Toriel later, but we'll get into that when I get, when we get to the character section of the discussion. But there's a few more mechanics that in this notebook were written down and that was like the the final boss attacking your cursor in the menu an idea he had from before the game even had like a working engine <laughs> mm. and the different projectiles the ones like the blue ones and the orange ones where you can go through them depending on if you're moving or not that was also like an idea where it, he had it right from the beginning and so that's yeah that's that's where that all comes from yeah and i feel like uh Oh, uh, now we're talking about, a little bit about mechanics. I feel like Undertale, like when I said that it like it was a revolution to the RPG um like world, it's because the like the combat is so different like from any other RPG. Um and like the the bullet hell kind of style of like moving your heart around is really cool, but also adding those different moments like when the heart is blue you can't move or um when it's green you you can only move side by side or when it's purple you can only mm -hmm. move up and down it keeps also the really amazing mecha uh, combat mechanic even fresher because yeah, it, it gives it's you true, a different it challenge. gives you a new version every couple yeah. of like every every boss fight no it was the 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 all the mechanics in the battle system were really awesome and the inspiration for them draws from so many different areas. So the the biggest thing about it all is really the the idea of talking to monsters instead of fighting them. That was like from the ground up kind of what Undertale was about, being able to 
talk to the monsters, being able to like have discussions with them, learn about them and all that stuff. This idea came from when he played the Shin Megami Tensai games, a game, a game series, an RPG where you could talk to the monsters. And this, like, this was a game that made him realize like, wow, like there's so much untapped potential here. Like these monsters have personality. Like they, you have a discussion with them, you learn about them. And so in one of his interviews, he was talking about other RPGs. And so Toby says in RPGs like Final Fantasy, uh, monsters are all the same except for the graphics. They attack you, you heal, you attack them and they die. And there's nothing else to it. You never need to sit there and think about like what impact that has on anything in the game. You never have to really sit there and think about like, oh, ah, that bandit, that bandit probably really liked dancing you know like there's you don't know anything about any of the monsters other than the fact that they want to kill you and you have to kill them and so each monster in undertale was designed with this core principle from from the very beginning that they he wanted to be able to he wanted you to be able to interact with them and he wanted every one of them to be very individual and very different than the others which i just i just loved yeah um i actually like, I mean, I love Toby and you're going to notice that I absolutely adore him and everything. But I mean, it says a lot about him personally that when he was playing games, he was like, I actually read this uh, a little bit about this on an interview that the I I think Edge um, talked to him before. But um, he was basically talking about like, what if when you were playing a game, you could talk to the monsters and maybe make alliances with them. They can help you. Um, and it's crazy because it's true. If you make friends, they're gonna back you up and help you in the end, um, which is what happens at the, at the end of the True Pacifist playthrough. Um, and it makes me just so happy that, and it teaches you a lot, the game, because when you play the genocide route, you are killing everything like you would in any other game, but the game actually makes you feel bad for doing this. Yeah, it makes you feel empty. It yeah. makes the game feel empty. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's crazy, and and I feel like it's in it. It says a lot about Toby as a person that he was like, "What if we're friends instead of just fighting?" Yeah, and yeah, it's it's so it's so it's so it's cool. So I really cheesy. I really love that mechanic. <laughs> like, it just worked out so smoothly. It really echoes kind of like what an RPG should be. You should be able to do whatever you want, whether that be fight or murder, you know, like it's a role-playing game. You take the role of the player and you play it and tabletop RPGs give you that full level of immersion where your DM kind of has the responsibility of being the on the fly adapting game world. So if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're being swarmed by a, a group of bandits, it's not a game that has programmed the only solution to be, you know, kill the bandit. You're talking to your DM and you can say, hey, I want to I want to see what this bandit wants in order for me to like, like go scot free or like, I want to, I want to join these bandits. You know, like you can, whatever your, your imagination says is possible is possible. And so that's kind of what he was doing here was giving you a complete other side of the story, giving you more to actually play in the role playing game, more options, more ways to feel like you're not just being pushed through this narrative where you feel like you're actually building it yourself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so the the not fighting monsters was was like the idea like that was like the really king idea so knowing that 
Toby realized that like combat would be really boring if there was nothing else other than dialogue. And so that's kind of where the bullet hell combat system comes from. So Toby cites inspiration from the Mario RPG games where you have to actually try and like time your A presses to defend against enemies' attacks. And uh, also, of course, citing the Tuho games where, you know, they're the intense bullet hell style uh, shoot 'em up games. But obviously, Undertale, he wanted to make it easy enough for anyone to play. If you've ever seen the Tuho games, they are not easy. <laughs> um, but so by he wanted to make the make the game um, approachable for anyone, non-gamers and gamers alike. So he used slower, larger bullets and he gave the characters more personality through their attacks because he was able to like, you know, turn their bullets into whatever he wanted to where like the crying little bug fights with crying tears and the what the. The muscle man, Aaron, I think is his name. He literally has gigantic biceps attacking you in the menu by flexing. And I mean, mean, we're talking about personality and attack. Napsabluk, it's literally the most epic fight ever. And (laughs) Napsabluk is supposed to be like a sad ghost. And one of his attacks, it's literally just a text that says, I'm sorry, I'm not in the mood to fight. Thanks. (laughs) And then um, I think uh, at the end, if you try to kill Napsabluk, um, if you try to kill him and he, see, he starts low- lowering his HP, but at the end he says, do you know that I'm a ghost so you can't kill me? I'm incorporeal. I'm just lowering my HP because I felt bad. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> That's funny. I actually, I didn't remember. It's been so long since I've killed that little ghost. I forgot what happened. Oh no, you should play genocide soon. Yeah, I, I might I might do a genocide playthrough after uh, Moistathon is done. You know that I've actually I haven't finished my genocide playthrough. I know you told me you got to get back into that girl. Oh, but it sounds is so hard. I, he is. I'm, He's very yeah. hard. Yeah, and I'm very bad at video games, and <laughs> you can imagine how bad I am at bullet hell. Like beating Undying, the Undying took me four hours and in on sans i think i'm probably around the eight hour mark and i still haven't been able to beat him um easy it is not easy who would have guessed that being a cold-blooded murderer was the toughest playthrough (laughs) yeah exactly yeah all right um we're gonna dive into the characters in just a second but before we do that we're going to take you on a quick little music break through some of the soft soothing tracks of undertale so ladies and gentlemen enjoy and we'll be right back enjoy
that song gives me chills every time. All of those it's songs so are good. so good. Oh my god. Oh my god. I know, right, dude? Oh my. <laughs> how are you supposed to pick music? I can't. I can't talk enough about how good it is. Uh, I. There isn't really a whole lot of history to share on the music because it's literally just all done by Toby Fox, a self-taught musician. Toby composed all of the songs in Undertale, all of it. Everything was yeah. done by him. Um, and I feel like it's it's one of, like for me, it's my favorite uh, video game soundtrack ever, ever. Breath of the Wild, close second, which is beautiful. Um, if you haven't heard the Breath of the Wild episode, you totally should because it's incredible. But oh yeah, y but you know the Undertale music, I just can't. We were talking about this a little bit, well, before um, about our, our songs, but uh, I don't know, man. The entire soundtrack is incredible, and if you've never uh, heard the entire soundtrack and you've played it, I would one hundred percent recommend, especially Undertale. Like the song and his theme are so good, so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only thing that one thing that I learned about, you know, music in general was the the soundtrack uses a lot of uh, what's called a leitmotif, I think. And from what I learned, I could be wrong about this, so I'm not the most confident in this information, but it's essentially <laughs> like recurring pieces in the music that is shared between separate tracks that revolves around certain characters. So like You'll notice a lot of songs in the soundtrack have a lot of like melodies or parts that reflect other songs. And apparently that's all done very intentionally to kind of build the relationship between these other characters in w through the music in, in a way as well, which is something that I thought like I noticed it the last time I was playing. I'm like, huh, this part of the song sounds like the part of the song from the other song. That's weird. Cool. Yeah, um, actually, yeah, you see the same melody repeat a lot. Um, and I actually didn't notice it until, you know, Toriel is the first boss and Asgore is supposed to be like the last major boss, I guess. Um, and actually, Toriel's song is, fun fact, Toriel's song is inside of Asgore's theme, actually, if you didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, it's basically the same thing. If you listen back to them it, they're literally the same thing just uh asgore is a little bit more upbeat but yeah he does yeah. A, he does that a lot with all of his characters especially if they're related well speaking of speaking of toriel i think it's a, a good time for us to dive into talking a little bit more about some of the characters of the game so um we'll we'll go ahead and jump right in so toby was working to fill the story uh once he had you know all the mechanics and everything like kind of generally thought up and so pretty much all of the characters, I would say, were designed to be parodies of game tropes that annoyed him. A, a re another reason that this game was so different from every other RPG was because it was intentionally making fun of them in a way. So we'll start with Toriel, the tutorial character. And yeah. so uh, I'm learning. So Toriel is, you know, she's the tutorial boss and... Because of the amount of hand-holding in games that Toby had been playing, uh, Toby wanted to parody that. He wanted to par parody that experience that games had been doing uh, in the time recently while he was working on it. So one example that he brings up was uh, Skyward Sword. And the Skyward Sword, I think, is a decently fun game, but it definitely has far too much interjection from 
the assistant character uh, in this game, it's Fee in uh, Ocarina of Time. It's Navi, you know, where, you know, you show up at a puzzle and you see what to do. You have an idea. You have some sort of general thought of how you want to approach a situation. And then this character comes up uninvited, gives you this tip you didn't want, tells you this information that you didn't think you, you know, you, maybe if you were like, I need a hint, you would want it. But it's kind of like shoving hints into your face and and kind of like kind of like saying you can't do this on your own so i'm here to i'm here to solve it for you which is annoying it's unfun and it's lame nothing nothing is more unfun moni than than when someone in your twitch chat tells you how to play the game right yeah backseat gamers out of here so that's that's essentially what this rpg trope was at this point it was backseat gaming coming directly from the game the idea of this overprotective this overprotective assistant character and so that's where toriel comes from she is the overprotective mother who is your tutorial guide she literally she literally doesn't let you solve the puzzles because they're too dangerous and holds your hand she it's it's not like it's not an expression at this point she holds your hand and walks you through the puzzles and that is such a funny joke. It's just so good. I think my one of my favorite uh, Toriel like moments is um I think it's like with the fourth or fifth room and it's the switch room and she's like you're gonna have to press the third switch to to solve this puzzle and you you're like okay you told me that I have to press the third switch fine but then you start walking and then the third switch has like a trillion arrows pointed at it yeah and I'm like you just told me it was the third switch why are you pinpointing it as well and I'm like what and I think this is why I doubted her a lot in my first playthrough I killed her I'm gonna straight up tell it say it right now I killed her I didn't even try to spare her I was like who is this evil annoying goat demon that's trying to convince me that I'm their kid so I just straight up killed her because I thought she was so annoying so I think Toby succeeded at that yeah she she's she's a really a really good character all all things like said at the end of the day I, I think Toriel is a fantastic character and one thing that I thought was funny as well um after looking more into it too was you know she's designed to be kind of like the mother character but that was kind of thrown as a juxtaposition of the standard you know mother in RPGs so he mentions Pokemon and Earthbound games where the mom literally lets their 10-year-old child go out and explore the world without batting an eye. Toriel's, Toriel is with you every step of the way and worries about you and tries to keep you home and tries to keep you safe until eventually you either kill her or convince you're, you're strong enough to leave. And so, like, you know, a 10-year-old, a little child leaving home, sure, you're not Toriel's actual child, but, like, the idea of the child leaving home was not something that Toriel was just going to be like, oh, yeah, sure, go on, go on, go on ahead, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and and actually, like, she even tries to avoid the conversation with you because, of yeah. course, like, naturally, you want to progress in the game if you're an experienced, like, gamer, I guess. Um, But you're like, okay, I want to go home now. And she's, like, talking about snail facts and trying yeah. to completely avoid the conversation. And you're like, well, uh, where where can I exit the ruins? And she's like, snail fact number 30,824. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. But, yeah, it's completely the opposite like you said and mm-hmm. again toby just being a genius 
Yeah, the next uh, the next pair of characters we got some info on is Sans and Papyrus. Probably the two, I'd say the two most popular characters in the in the sense of like everyone, you know, in the sense of the general like public knowing of this game. If you've seen it, obviously Sans has been memed to death. He is he is uh, the you're gonna have a bad time guy. So uh, the ideas for Sans and Papyrus come from. A friend of Toby's, actually. So Toby's got this friend. His name is Jones. Jones really likes skeletons. And so Jones has this webcomic where, you know, there he has characters that are skeletons with the main character being named Helvetica, like the font. And, you know, it's the main character. Helvetica is like one of the most popular fonts. It's uh, it's used all the time everywhere. So that's kind of like. You know, that's kind of what he was going for with the naming of the character there. And so while this this Jones fellow loves skeletons, he hates skeleton jokes. So Toby, <laughs> while he's making his game, decides to make two pair of skeleton brothers named after two of the stupidest fonts that do nothing but deliver nonstop skeleton puns. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> these characters were literally just him taking a like just basically poking fun at one of his friends like having a good time rustling his buddy's jimmies and i i love that i love that i love that every bit of success of this game isn't from like some like every every bit of this game has some sort of like deep underlying thing that comes from his personality you know nothing's like here just like okay i'm going to put in this character because i think it needs this character he's like i want to make a character that's a sexy robot that's it. And then he just builds it up from there. I want to, oh, I got this buddy who, who who doesn't like skeleton jokes. Guess what the next pair of characters are? It's just so funny. Yeah, and I feel like they're also like the most lovable characters. Um, they are. And I actually love the, I don't know like if I'm weird and I absolutely adore this, but I love that they're named after fonts. And I love that they're the only characters in the game that talk in a different font. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 incredible and i feel like um sans for example he is so like he's so smart but so dumb at the same time <laughs> and he's and and like so funny and witty and it's like uh, you remember like he always tries to protect papyrus as well like he's such yeah. a good brother to him and it's like yes my brother papyrus um he's trying to hunt a human uh or whatever and then he says like this weird things like hey hide here behind this conveniently shaped lamp and i'm like and it's a lamp in the size of the character and i'm like what so i feel like they're they're two hilarious characters and i feel like they're probably the most successful characters in the in the game for sure. I think so too. Yeah. Other than that, I think another important character just to discuss is the player character, like yourself in the game. And is it really yourself though? Thinking well, emoji. Uh, yeah, I guess we. I mean, spoilers. We already know the answer to that one. So. So we're gonna just call it the playable character. Yeah, the player character. So, uh, the character you play as in the game was was designed kind of with three big things in mind. First, Toby wanted the player to be able to connect with the character more. So by speaking to you in the second person in all of the narration in the game, so anytime you go to save or anytime you have a point where you're being spoken to by menus or something, everything refers to you as you. 
So it'll be like, you are filled with determination. It's always talking to you directly. And it makes you feel more absorbed in the game. So secondly, uh, oh, no, sorry. In addition to that, the character, sorry, doesn't, um, doesn't speak. And the reason for that, you know, as many other RPGs, is that once the character starts speaking, they have their own personality. And you're not in... You're not, you can't, you can't really feel like you are that character quite as much if they don't a hundred percent align with you. So your playable character does not have the same kind of, or doesn't have any sort of like really outgoing showing personality because it's meant to be you. You're supposed to fill in that blank yourself. So secondly, after that, the character was designed to be relatable to everyone who plays regardless of like anything like skin or color or, or or any sort of factor. The sprite for this character was super vague, so anyone could relate to them. And every like nowhere in the game does it say he or she. It always uses them or they or you. It's specifically meant to be as inclusive as possible. You're just a long-haired kid, and that's it. Which I thought was I, I didn't, and that's something I didn't notice the first time I played the game. Actually, how did how did you like? Did you notice that, Moni? It kind of like went over my head, and I guess it's like a something I take for granted. But uh, I thought it was like really cool once I did find out this information. If you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I I mean I immediately like I when I played it, I didn't think if it was a girl or a boy or or. And it's funny because um, something that throws you off since the beginning of the game with, with the playable character is that the first thing the game asks you is what's the name of the fallen human? And and you immediately think you're naming your character. And of course, I we're going to there's a little bit of a spoiler. I know we're going to talk about it, but I, <laughs> I guess I need to bring it up. But yeah, the, the game asks you uh, the name of the fallen human. And of course, you think um, like when I played, of course, I named it Moni and I immediately thought the character was a girl. But so I feel like it, it really depends on um, on how you how you experience the game. I don't know if you name it X, Water or Mickey when you first played it. Um, and you, I feel like the player gives the the character its its personality, I guess. For me, yeah. like I didn't even think if it was a boy or a girl. I just named it myself and. And thought it was a girl <laughs> after that point, but it was same. Just- I just named it myself and thought it was a boy. Yeah, I, I even had long hair at the time, so it was super fitting. I was like, "Yeah, we match, dude." <laughs> but yeah, so you 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 brought it up just there too, though. The you named the fallen human. So the third reason that the character doesn't talk is that it's important to not giving away that big reveal at the end of the pacifist ending. Big spoiler alerts for anybody who somehow made it to this point in the episode who wasn't expecting to be spoiled. But anyway, so the game the game throws some hanky-panky at you, and it's <laughs> yeah. pretty wild. I was so shook when this happened. I know. We just replayed through it. So there's the whole story of Undertale is like the the like way, way back before um, – before, like, in the land long, long ago, monsters banished from the land by humans, blah, 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 live underground. And then there's a human that lives with uh, Azriel and Toriel and their son. So there's a, a you know, little family of four. This little monster kid and this little human kid, they're, they're buddies, they're friends, they're having a good time until one day 
Uh, what happens exactly, Moni? How does okay. what happens to the human? Yeah, so the human basically goes sicko mode, and he literally like starts planning like it's like a revenge towards humans, and that he wanted to become super powerful, and he tries to convince Asriel to merge his. Uh, so basically, we. It's a really complicated lore, like a really complicated story. But it's basically that humans, uh, the human soul has determination, which is like one of the most powerful things in the in the Undertale universe. Um, like how human souls don't like giving up. And and the human, the fallen human, which we learn, um, the fallen human knows this. And he tries to convince Asriel to merge his monster soul with his own human soul with determination to become like the most powerful thing in the world, which in the end becomes Flowey, which we already talked about Flowey a little bit. But so, yeah, the story is really, really, really complex, but it's relatable right now because the falling human that we name at the beginning of the game that we think we're naming our character is actually the falling human that was Asgore and Toriel's adopted son. And this is the huge plot twist because uh, at this point, at the end of the true pacifist ending, uh, Asriel asks the character, what's your name? And he responds, Frisk. And this is just like the biggest plot twist in the entire world because you realize that, oh my God, I am not the character. Yeah, you the character you name at the beginning is the character that that essentially uh, what's Asgore, you know, carries over the border to bring back to the human people in the at like way 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 back in the past, and that was just such a such a huge twist to get at the end of the past. It. Like, it was yeah. so cool. So so good. Yeah. Oh oh, that game that game and, that game and actually so in good. the genocide uh, round. Because uh, the the fallen human, which actually the true name of the fallen human is Chera, if you didn't know, um, in the genocide route. So you're supposed to be Frisk, right? But in the genocide route, when you because you start killing everything and you are 100% evil, at the end of the genocide route, um, you basically discover that you are actually not Frisk, but Chera. Because you're so evil, like she was, and you just kind of like re- reborn. It's so weird, but it's like it makes sense because Chera was so evil that when you kill everything, you kind of like make her come alive again or him. They don't know if Chera is a girl or a boy, but yeah. Um, so it's really complicated lore, but it's really good lore if you want to get into it. Um, I actually got consumed by the Undertale lore a few years ago, like uh, a year yeah, ago. Yeah, it's. It's like it's like one of those like games that you gotta you gotta go read a couple Wikipedia pages after you beat it sometimes because it's some of it's gonna go over your head the first time you play it. I remember the first time like I played it, I definitely did not click everything that was happening, you know? <laughs> yeah, and there's characters like I don't even know if we should even get into this, but there's another character called Gaster. I don't know if you've heard of a Gaster. Gaster? Who's yeah. who's Gaster? You've never heard of it, Mickey? Oh my god. What do you mean? They don't show up in the game. Exactly. That's why. Okay, so how am I supposed to hear of a character who doesn't uh, show up in the game? Okay. So I know what I, I feel like this is gonna take forever, but I'm just gonna make like a really big, like short summary. So um Gaster was the royal scientist before Alphys. Gaster designed the core, which 
powers the underground with energy. And actually, you can play the game if from a hundred times, you can play the game 95 times and not hear one single time about Gaster. Um, it's actually depending on your fun value. Um, the fun value is a random number that the game assigns every time you start a fresh playthrough. And only five of the 100 fun values that Undertale has, five reference to Gaster. And Wow. Yeah, this is where the lore gets even more complicated. Like, it gets deep, deep, deep. It's called, he's called supposedly W.D. Gaster. And actually, if you name your, like, the fallen human Gaster, the game crashes. And if you reopen it, you actually spawn a black screen with wingdings. And people Hmm. think that he's a skeleton because he's called W.D. as in wingdings. Oh, that's funny. That's <laughs> yes. cool. And it goes way, way deeper. And some of the Gaster followers, which spawn depending on your fun value, they say like, uh, Gaster is always watching you or Gaster, uh, he fell into his creation and got shattered into time and space. And it's it gets really meta. And every time they ask Toby about Gaster, he always like never replies. And actually, if you well. We're, I don't know if we're going to cover a little bit about Deltarune after this, but um, if you actually said, uh, if you open Deltarune and you put the name Gaster as your name, the game crashes too. Wow. And it gets it gets way deeper than that. So self-aware, man. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I would recommend for you to like read about Gaster a little bit um, because it's actually crazy. That is br- that. I, I can't believe I had no idea. That's what? another one of those things that like Toby just really meticulously did to make sure, you know, there was just so much content in this game where you could go through and not even hear about this former royal scientist unless you had a 5% chance of your playthrough generating the right number. That's wild. Yeah, and That's actually, wild. like, another thing before, like, we continue, but another funny thing about Gaster. So you remember the True Lab at the end of the True Pathways yeah, yeah, yeah. playthrough? So you know that you're reading entries, right? Like, one, two, three, four. Uh-huh. So actually, there is an ent- entry missing. It's entry number 17. And it's not in the true lab. You go from 15, from 16 to 18. And no one even notices when you're like, you're just passing by. Yeah, it's too hard. It's too hard to keep track of those when you're fighting like these weird ass ghost monster demon mutation things. Like you're (laughs) scared at that point in the game. It's scary. (laughs) It's so weird. But anyway, yeah. So entry 17 is actually missing, but it's actually a room in the code of the game. And if you like enter the room, like if you hack it and you and you enter the code, um, you actually spawn in a room with a text box in Windings that says like so cryptic messages and it's like this experiment seems very very interesting and it's like in wingdings so it's even creepier (laughs) oh yeah that is really weird yeah i would recommend that you you like if if you have time after it like read a little bit about it on the gaster lore um because it it's actually present in deltarune and there's even a part in deltarune that if you spawn a room I think it's like a 10% chance, something like that. Um, one of the characters says, there's a gray dude staring from behind you. And that's what set, like that's what Gaster kind of is. Like, he's always watching you. Um, and yeah. Gaster sounds like a weird-ass ghost demon, dude. I don't like him. <laughs> he's supposed to be a skeleton, though. 
So, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope uh, I hope he's at least friendly because sounds if he's just sitting around stalking you, that shit's weird. Yeah, but but yeah, he's really cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, moving moving forward, we're gonna so Undertale like the game. The game was uh, you know a, a, something he had been working on at this point uh, since he started in Andrew Hussey's basement. He worked on Toby worked on it like semi-seriously, somewhat in his spare time. Eventually he finishes up the demo of Undertale and shares it with, you know, the friends that he's made and, you know, the Earthbound community, the community for his 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 uh, webcomics community, and all these different, you know, internet communities he's a part of and his friends and stuff. And then after sharing the demo, he was just showered in positive responses. Everybody loved it. And so... At that point, Toby decided to continue to work on the project, make it a full-length game. And so, opens a Kickstarter, June 24th, 2013, asks for $5,000 to make the game. $5,000. That is such a small amount of money for a, to make a game with. The dude's the dude's estimated finish time for the game was summer of the following year. He was planning on working on this game for a year, and he asked for five thousand dollars as all the money he needed to stay alive for that year. Yeah, exactly. Like, That's what I was gonna exactly bring up. It's that Toby, um, and I think uh, X Water is about to mention this, but uh, he Toby didn't like working with people. He didn't want no, to rely on anyone, um, and the only reason he asked for money was to maintain himself. Yeah. Because he wanted to dedicate like an entire year to this game because he didn't want to hire anyone else. Um, but yeah, you can keep going. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> no, that's actually a really good point. One that I didn't have anywhere in the notes. Um, it's definitely worth talking about. Toby at, like absolutely did not want to work with other people on the project or on the game. He wanted it to be his creation fully. The only thing that he did have help on was the art and even at that point he had art assistance for like all the main design of the characters like you know he did he did all of the you know design of the characters he just needed help creating all of the art within the game whether that be the worlds the sprites all that stuff things that he literally just didn't have enough time to do on his own because he was busy programming an entire game and composing an entire game and writing an entire game <laughs> yep exactly yeah but so he starts this kickstarter asks for five thousand. end of this one month campaign undertale raises fifty one thousand one hundred and twenty four dollars with over twenty three hundred backers pretty pretty good number not not gonna lie for some for some weird game that no one's ever heard of for Essentially, just being advertised as the game where you don't have to kill anything that has a lot of feelings similar to Earthbound. And so with that money, he was able to, you know, hire a couple of artists to work on everything at that point. One of those artists being known as Temi Chang, also known as Tuyoki, I think. It's kind of hard to find out exactly what the name was because in some she's places just popularly known as Temi, yeah. Yeah, I think Temi is like her online handle and her real name might be Tuyoki. But uh because she I, I saw spots where you know credits are listed for her as Tuyoki and saw spots where credits are listed to her as Temi. Either way, um it was funny. He reached out to Temi pretty early on actually and I think it was just through Tumblr and like they had never spoken before. He was just like hey you want to work on this game with me? 
you want to work on some art for this game with me? And she's like, hell yeah. And so that's, that's kind of where that all started. I don't really know exactly what their relationship is at this point. I think they're just like really close friends at this point and work together a lot. But I think they like, like, I think Temi was like a, a big part of kind of the inspiration for a lot of things that came into Undertale. I know she worked yeah. a lot on a lot of the art. She was definitely the main non-Toby artist. Yeah, definitely. And she's, I mean, she's a great pixel artist in general. Um, and I also love that Toby gave her a character, which was really weird. I wonder if she's like that IRL. But yeah, the Tammy character in Undertale is really weird. And it talks... Yeah. yeah. I, the Tammy character was like... A lot of the game actually is like the two thousand and the two thousand and eight to two thousand and twelve Tumblr kids who post XD RAR, you know? XD RAR. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's very it's very endearing in the game, at least. It comes off very well in the game, but I can see I can see Temi as being a character that you either love or you hate. Which is funny because I didn't even know Temi was a character until my second playthrough. Because I, like like we said a little bit earlier, um, Temi Town is really, like, not in the route at all. You have yeah. to, like, kind of, like, run into it by mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that he gave her, like, importance and a role in the game, at least. Yeah, it was really cool, and it, and it went really well. Sending Temi to college is one of the funniest parts of the game. I can't believe you actually did that. Of course, she needs to get a higher education. <laughs> yeah, is she like a dog? I think she's like a cat. I know to- the Toby's dog. Like, a dog, yeah. The dog is what Toby kind of refers to himself as in many of the game, like. Like that little, the little, the little puppy, the one that, the little annoying dog. Yeah, that's what Toby like kind of uses as his like trait, his his calling card, if you will. Yeah, I think yeah, she she might be a cat actually. Now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah, and so anyway, after after this, uh, the Kickstarter campaign finishes. Toby really like really puts his head to the ground and starts working on uh, everything he wants Undertale to be. Spends all this time making sure there's all these you know, subtle interactions, the thing like, like Moni was just speaking about the fun value that changes certain things in the playthrough based on whatever is generated. The fact that you can go through the game and, you know, interact with characters in these ways and then come back and interact with them in other ways. Things that like, when you think something should do something interesting, for a good example, Toriel's pie inciting a response in uh, Asgore Uh, Things like that. So good. Yeah, things like that. Like, he really wanted to make sure that if it felt like it should do something special in the game, you should be able to get something out of it. If you if you can find a way to make it work, if you can, you know, find the train of thought that Toby put in there. He he put enough pieces in there that if you thought of it, it's probably gonna work out in some way. Not necessarily to like the same degree of freedom that Breath of the Wild gives you, but a lot more than your standard JRPG. The Undertale is really the story of a game that broke out of every RPG trope, made fun of them, and improved them. Yeah, and actually, another fun fact, I, I don't know if you knew this, X-Water, but after you beat a genocide uh, playthrough, you know, at the end of the genocide playthrough, Chera tells you that, um, you that she can send you back to 
the world you love if you give her your soul. Um, and it basically like refreshes the game. But yeah. it actually doesn't. If you play Yeah, the playthrough is different if you yes. play after your genocide. You can't do you can't do the true pacifist if you did a genocide the previous run. You can right? do what is called a true pacifist soulless, which is basically a true pacifist, but in the credits you get a chera instead of a frisk, which is so weird. <laughs> um but yeah, the characters actually remember that you kill them, especially yeah. Sans. The Be- second playthrough that I went through like, I remember the first time, like, back in 2015 when I go through and, you know, I got the neutral ending. I go through, I want to do it again. And, like, I'm talking to the flower and and all that stuff. Uh, I, you know what I think it was? I got, I got to the point where I'm talking to Toriel and the game is like, you feel like you've killed this person before. And I'm like, what the fuck? I started a new game. That's not, yeah. that's not right. Yeah, the game like, remembers. That's that's what I and that's what I meant by earlier when you were asking me my favorite route. I felt like that's when I felt like the game didn't have like one like like separate endings. I felt like that progression was like the same playthrough. Like I I felt like I was in still in that first save file, even though I was replaying. I felt like I was not playing a game again. I felt like I was continuing the experience because it kept throwing these new things at me. Yeah, the game remembers, but it's funny because the characters themselves don't remember except Flowey and Sans because they're yeah, like... Yeah, because for some reason, Sans is also also like super omnipotent as yeah, well. Yeah, Sans is actually like... there. I think this is why he became a meme or or anything, but but yeah, uh, Sans is actually omnipotent and, and he understands um, like timelines and he understands loading and saving. Flowey does too. Um, which is kind of weird because it breaks the fourth wall a lot. But like, do you well? Do you remember in the genocide uh, playthrough when Sans is like, "I'm gonna kill you for third time in a row or fourth yep. time in a row." So he yep. remembers. So it's really cool that at least some characters in the game actually remember um, what happened. But the rest is just the game, which is it makes uh, Sans and Flowey feel more powerful in the end. Which is kind of creepy, but also really cool. Yeah, they're they're very they very much are like characters who don't feel like 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 Sans never really interacts with you in too meaningful of a way until the genocide run. He usually he just kind of like coasts along with you. You have a couple of talks with him, but you know he never really like he never really like opens up himself to you in any way because it seems like he really is just some guardian of the game who's kind of watching your progress. Yeah, until the genocide route when you're fighting him and he says like Yeah, and I've then he's like, well, to I gotta go stop back. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but fighting Sans is definitely one of the funnest fights like, ever. Yeah, but when you have to kill him though, that is so sad. Yep. It is. When it he sure gives up is. on fighting and then he just falls asleep and then you... So good. Oh my god. I remember the first... <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, we could we could dweeb about this game for for hours, Moni, but we've covered all of our history. We've hit the uh, hour 30 minute mark. I think this is a good stopping point for the history of Undertale. Uh, I'd like to thank you one more time, Moni, for joining me on this podcast, the Warp World Historians podcast. This was so good. I can talk about this forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, this was this was a really fun one. I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we got this one out and. 
I think coming soon, I'm probably going to want to play like, like this researching this one has inspired me to want to play mother three and maybe do an earthbound episode. Cause I kind of want to get into that. Yeah. You I was, Toby talked that. about earthbound research that he had done, like, you know, interviews with the creator of earthbound. And there was one funny thing that actually stuck with me, uh, from that last, last little piece of info to end on. So, um, a feeling that Toby wanted to replicate kind of from the Earthbound games that he really loved in Undertale was this this idea of uh, of of having like the perfect balance of humor and impactfulness. So the the person who who created Earthbound and I, I don't know their name right now off the top of my head, but the director for that game had this had this statement where he said, you know, he would write down 50 lines for the game and there would be 49 lines or funny, absurd jokes, like interesting dialogue. And then that one, that, that one line, that 50th line would be the one that just kind of tugs at your heart a little bit. And the, the, the idea was that by writing those 49 lighthearted, like funny, goofy lines, it really set the stage, opened the floor for that one heart-tugging line to really mean a lot more. And I feel like that shows in Undertale as well. Yeah, it does. It, it truly, um, it's a, I feel like it's, like I said at the beginning of the episode, and I say it again, I feel like it's a masterpiece um, music-wise, um, story-wise, design-wise, like, like the combat is so different. And I feel like if you've, if you've never played it and, by some reason, you heard this episode when we told you not to. I would recommend to just go ahead and play it. It's on every platform: PS4, PS Vita, Nintendo Switch, every everything. You can you can play it on anything. Um, so I would recommend it 100, and it's it's awesome, and I'm pretty sure like you're gonna love it. Yeah, good. It's a good video game. You like RPGs? Definitely check it out. If you like video games and good music, definitely check it out. Now, maybe. <laughs> Should we in the future do a pocket Deltarune episode? Thinking, Mona, you're putting you're putting you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just laying it on the table, and we can walk away and leave it there. Yeah, it'll be uh, <laughs> the possibility of the future. The maybe possibility it happens, of the future. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it. It, maybe it also does. I don't. I can't commit to anything right just right now. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. <laughs> but it, but yeah, basically, Deltarune, a se- kind of like a sequel to Undertale. It's really good as well. So I would recommend that too. Yeah, yeah. Deltarune is really cool. All right, that's gonna wrap us up for this week, guys. Thank you for listening to Warp World Historians. I am Xwater, your host. This has been Moni, our guest host. Moni is once again. The pretty much the personality of every <laughs> online interaction you see behind Warp World and has been a extremely valuable member to the team. Moni, would you like to plug any of your personal accounts at all? Um, yes. <laughs> well, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Moni Mendes J and on Twitch as well at Moni Mendes J. I play a lot of Super Mario World uh, vanilla, not Rome Hex. Uh, but yeah, but make sure to follow us on the Warp World social media at WW uh, Crowd Control and then Team Warp World on Twitter. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and thank you so much Xwater for having me. It's been a pleasure. Heck yeah. Good episode, Moni. Too good. (laughs) All right. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye.